Good. How you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Did you get the oven? Uh -uh. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, but it's par for the course with this guy. Uh, our heat went out in uh, the winter during the coldest weeks, oh, and uh, yeah. finally I called PSE and G. He goes, oh, I'll bleed your pipes. This will fix it, and it didn't work. And then we had to finally do something, and then it was like. New Year's Day. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It was out for like a week. <sighs> then Friday turned into Saturday, turned into early next week. I said, look, I'm going away next weekend. Otherwise, I'm going to start saving receipts from takeout. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to hear it. Like, no more. I'm done. You know, forget it. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a fucking pain in the ass. So... Other than that, other than that, you want to get going? All right. All right, so good evening and welcome to the kickoff. Oh, I'm not reading that one. <laughs> good evening and welcome to just about the end of the sixth season of Birds Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, we continue with our conversation about the superhero cinema from the 90s to the present. Tonight, we'll be talking at least the early Marvel films. Hopefully, we'll get a lot of that done. So, good evening, and welcome to the kickoff. Oh, I did it again. You still there? You sound really quiet. Yeah, yeah, listening to you. Yeah, good evening, and welcome once again. <laughs> To the near finale of the sixth season of Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. All right, so now we're talking Marvel, finally. And we had talked all of the TV movies that they did in the 70s, because that was Marvel's big thing. They actually were doing a lot of television back when DC was kind of floating around doing the Superman movies and Supergirl, and then nothing for a while, and then Batman. During that whole period from, like, 77 to basically 89 or so, 90, Marvel was working TV. And a lot of it worked well. The Spider-Man TV series and TV movie. We talked all this stuff when we were doing the superhero television show a couple years back. Obviously, the Incredible Hulk series. Many of those movies that they did afterwards trying to bring it back. The Return of the Incredible Hulk. The Trial of the Incredible Hulk. And they would always have really bad takes on, like, one would have Daredevil in it, one had Thor in it, you know, whoever it was, trying to introduce characters and make this viable again. It never really quite worked. But the original Spider-Man series, I think, is great. It's a, a shame and a problem that it's still not on DVD after all the Spider-Man movies they've done and all the things, the older things, the cartoons that they brought out since then. Why isn't this out there? The Nicholas Hammond one. Doctor Strange, which did come out, that was actually a fun movie, even though it had many flaws. Who's that guy? Peter Hooten. Who's that guy? Who was in some, uh, a lot Hooten. of Italian war movies. <laughs> we got a few things over here that we talked about when we did things like, you know, when we're talking Enzo Castellari and some of those cult directors from Italy. The, the Captain America, the two movies. We we talked about this stuff before. Going all the way to stuff like Generation X and Nick Fury and the Man Thing movie. Basically, it took them until, in 1986, they did that awful Howard 
the Duck movie with George Lucas involved in it and everything else. Leah Thompson, who was riding high at the time on things like Back to the Future, and what was that stupid movie she did with uh, Oh Casual Sex with Andrew Dice Clay? I mean, she was floating around doing a lot of stuff at the time that you would recognize. So they pulled her into this movie, and it didn't kill her career, but it definitely set her back. And the same with a lot of other people that were involved in it. Tim Robbins was riding hot at the time. And, of course, the uh, guy whose career has been destroyed ever since because it turned out he was a pedo, uh, Jeffrey Jones was in this thing. But, you know, it was an abominable movie. I know it's gotten a cult reputation in recent years where they kind of rehabilitate things like, you know, the Masters of the Universe movie, which is actually fun in a stupid way. Well, you mentioned Jeffrey Jones, yeah, but he did manage to make a comeback. He did, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Major Emmy wins... Lots of things going on with him. So that I was surprised to see. He can make a comeback because I think he did time. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, it was a poor decision on his part. You know, like, like many people make poor decisions when dealing with strange appetites. <laughs> um, but, you know, but wait till we get to Brian Singer and his interest in young men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But anyway, Howard the Duck kind of set them back, and then in 1989, they did one with Roger Corman in New World, which was The Punisher, which was a Dolph Lundgren movie. Now, I like Dolph. I mean, there are movies that he's done. Showdown in Little Tokyo with Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee, That is a great buddy movie. I mean, a cop buddy movie. What's the one uh, that came in peace? It's almost like a Terminator thing, but the guy's just... Oh, yeah, Universal Soldier. That's good. I mean, the guy's really not the dim bulb you would think from, oh, look, this is who Bridget Nielsen went to after... Rocky Three. Yeah, after everybody rejected her, after she was chased after Schwarzenegger, he dumped her on Stallone. Stallone got divorced with her, what the hell was going on there? And then she goes to Dolph Lundgren, and everybody laughed. Ha ha ha, look, she got the cast off some Grace Jones or whatever. But no, I mean, the guy actually was not bad. His beef, if you will, his half, the law is his acting ability. Not he's a fantastic actor, but for this kind of stuff, it was not bad. I mean, okay, he's not bad. This movie was not that great. <laughs> Louis Gossett Jr.'s in it, and that's about it. It's, it's one of these dumb ones where, believe it or not, the Yakuza decides to move in on the mob, and there's a whole big tie-up, and of course he is the usual backstory with him. He's either a, an ex-GI or an ex-cop or whatever, and somehow his family winds up getting killed because of gangsters, and then he goes into hiding and becomes this vigilante. Big deal, so what? You've seen it a billion times before. You've seen it better before, but of the Punisher movies that they've made because they can keep going back to this character. This was really the best one. Oh, uh, until John Bernthal did it for the uh, Marvel uh, Netflix show. Yeah, it was the best one. But I, I think I think Bernthal owns that role now, so we'll see what happens. So uh, they then did Captain America, which you thought the Red Brown ones were bad, even when the one had Oh, it's the Corman one, This right? is the Corman yeah. one. Woo! Bad. Matt Salinger is Captain America. Ned Beatty is in it. Darren McGavin is in it. Coltec the Night Stalker. Michael Norrie. And Matt Matt Salinger was related to? J.D. Salinger. That's right. <laughs> Who only wrote one book. But it's a good one. He did, yeah, he didn't need to write anything else, did he? Yep. And Michael <laughs> Norrie, we were talking about Cliffhanger last week. Yeah, that he was the Dracula in that one, among other things. But yet, the film is just, oof. It, it's so bad and boring. It is World War II set. There is a Red Skull in it, because everybody thinks, oh, who's Captain America's major nemesis? Oh, the Red Skull. Right, there you go. There he is. But, yeah, uh, really abysmal. I think it was much worse than the next movie we're going to mention here, so you can cover 
cover both of them if you want. Also Corman related, but also it was a co-production with Constantine Film. You know, they're a German company. They actually did the uh, first Resident Evil movie as well, but they did a lot of Edgar Wallace films, things like that. The Fantastic Four, which, okay, I haven't seen this one in years, but oof. It was a test marketing thing that Marvel did. They actually, I don't think they ever wanted it released, but certainly once they saw the end product, they didn't want it released. Really bad costuming, really bad rubber suits. Dr. Doom is in it. It's just, I, it's one of those movies that you actually fall asleep through. I fell asleep through it. I've tried to watch it twice, and <laughs> this is many years ago now. That should say it all. The only person of uh, any interest in there at all, Alex Hyde-White, who is probably related to... Uh, Wilfred? Yes, Wilfred Hyde-White, who is the British character actor, and also in things like Buck Rogers. But this movie is just... Oof. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Captain America and... The Punisher back to back. The Punisher was done twice more as a movie, and I guess we're going to get to those. I like Dolph. You like Dolph. It's not that bad. One of the problems was it was whoever they were doing the production with, I think there was a problem there, like with the studio or whatever. It sat on the shelf. There was a real violent cut. I had a work print of that at one time. Remember we were collecting work prints of VHS back in the day? Yep. Like, you made his 14 minutes longer. I got to get that. So. <laughs> and you see the time code running down. <laughs> and, you know, it was much more violent. But did I make it a better movie? No. It just. I don't know. Uh, both of these pictures are problematic in a way. It, it's funny that they. You know, 20 years later, they got to do them with a gazillion dollars. And they did them quite well. That's all I can say. So uh, after the Fantastic Four came Blade, which is kind of the first Marvel success in a while. Mm, yeah. Also New Line Cinema, believe it or not. Wesley Snipes, who's, I know some people find him problematic, but I definitely liked him in uh, some of the things he was doing, like Blade. And this is, for those who don't know, it was a minor character in the Tomb of Dracula comics back in the 70s. That's right. Who just kind of, I guess because of these films, there was really no other reason, blew up into being a big deal. You know, there wasn't a lot of black uh, superheroes back in those days. You know, whether he's a superhero or not is debatable, but he's definitely on the side of justice, so you can say that about him. But really, I think Wesley was the one that made the character what it is, to to the extent that it's anything. And he is a half-vampire who goes around trying to get vengeance for... On the guy that basically turned his mother, first of all, and, of course, him. And, of course, on all vampires, because, you know, he's seen the light or whatever, and he doesn't want to be a predator, and he knows it's wrong. It's just a typical stupid superhero backstory in a way. But later on, he gets his own team, and that's actually my favorite of them. But the first film is pretty damn good. Chris Christopherson shows up in all three of them. Of all people, Chris Christopherson, you know, Jesus. And he works. He works well. He's great. He's great. He's kind of like the machine smith guy that, you know, he goes back to and, oh, yeah, here, can you make this up for me? Find out this information for me. Oh, yeah, here, I got some special ones for you here. This one's going to kill him from a mile away. That kind of a deal. And he's, I guess he also says like a father figure because he was, you know, probably, what, 20 years old or easy. Stephen Dorff is in this thing, which is funny in itself, who's kind of the the baddie that we're talking about that turned him and his mother-in-law jazz. Oh, yeah, because he was really good at playing these bad boy parts around this time period. Mm-hmm. And was, Udo Kier's in it, which is really yeah. strange. Favorite from things like uh, the Andy Warhol Dracula's, for instance. Who's in this one as a bit part? This is a really amusing one. Tracy Lords. Yes, folks. Yeah. The uh, the woman who nearly single-handedly brought down the porn industry. 
So uh, basically, she's just in the beginning. It there's like a five minute sequence that opens the film in a rave, and you know, of course, then all the vampires come out and start killing people, and bad CG galore ensues. So she was one of those. But it did start off. I don't want to say a good series. I like the first one. I like the third one. I despise the second one that everybody seems to love. But I do understand that there is going to be a sequel to this soon. Oh, it's really it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's dark. Yes, it is. I'm surprised it did as well as it did. I'm surprised it got two sequels over the course of years because it was a bit dark. It was a bit twisted. You know, he finds his mother, you know, and she's a, a vampire. This whole thing gets very, very twisted. There's a lot of sexuality yes. going on in this. There's a lot of goth. There's an embracement of the goth subculture in this film. And also, something I wanted to point out, this is one of the first times you talked, you spoke a few moments ago about we don't see the rise of the auteur, somebody who is known for doing a certain kind of film, has a style. These three pictures, has it definitely has that. These three Blade movies, you have Stephen Norrington, who did some really interesting films, but crashed and burned with a movie nobody likes. And you have Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, that was a mistake. And and I forgot, really, it's... it's I like them. Now, Wesley's not aging terribly badly, if that's a, if that's a, or something, somebody wants to paraphrase, terribly badly, <laughs> um, as, as is some, some folks. It's conceivable. I, I've been hearing these rumors too, that yeah. they want to bring this back. Now, with the popularity of all the actors out there now that, you know, like half the cast of Black Panther, anybody could be in, can be the new Blade. Yeah, but remember how bad the TV show was. <laughs> True. So, uh, time will tell. I don't know if Marvel is yet ready to go there. And you're actually right about the embrace of the gothic subculture because that was right around, this was 98, and that was right around the time it was kind of drying up. I was actually involved in the second wave of uh, the goth culture at that time, you know, with the vampire clubs and all that crap. Mm -hmm. And the U.S., I mean, the original gothic rock scene was big in the U.K., and we embraced it here, you know, Susie and the Banshees, stuff like that, Bauhaus. This was more things like London After Midnight or uh, The Wake and, you know, the Switchblade Symphony. These were, it was more of a U.S. US-based uh, revival, which was, you know, a good timing and a good place for me at that point in my life. Well, my experience, yeah, I, the same thing happened with me. I That period, I was going to clubs that kind of, don't ask me why, that kind of mixed up. Gotham God. fetish. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I had, I had some very interesting times. There were also some places I did walk out of. Yeah. yeah. Now, don't be shocked, people. I, I don't want you to be scared. But there are some things even I would go, oh, that's not for me. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So I know exactly I, I'll leave it at <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll leave it at that. You know, I've had to say that to people. Like, well, you know, I'm not interested in this, this, and this. And like, oh, really? I'm, yes. <laughs> No, thank you. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, well, a lot of, you know, as we got to it, people seem to forget these, and actually they still exist, folks, but they're even harder. They went more on the ground than they yes. have to. But this, I hate to say revival, but this sort of thing <laughs> was still going on. And, yeah, we, we should talk about that one time somehow, some way. Next. Yeah. So uh, next up, things really blow up. And we're still talking about Fox and New Line for all these movies. Marvel mm-hmm. Cinema didn't even exist yet. Certainly Disney didn't get involved. But really, this is where these movies explode. 
you know, I had said the 90s because it's true that we've been talking about stuff in the 90s here, but 2000 is when X-Men came out. And speaking of Brian Singer, you know, I don't even know if I need to mention the cast because everybody knows Patrick Stewart. You know, this was the one role that people associate with him outside of Jean-Luc Picard. Nobody even thinks, does he do anything else? Of course he does, but nobody fucking knows or cares. It's like he's either Professor X or he's Jean-Luc Picard. You know, okay, whatever. That, that's your jobs. Same thing with everybody in this picture. Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. He's, all, you know, he's Wolverine. Did he do anything else? Sure he did. Nobody gives a shit. He's Wolverine. Ian McKellen. Okay, yeah, the guy's been acting for years. No, he's Magneto. Holly Berry, you know, all right, whatever you want to say about her. She was kind of horrible and everything she does must have storm. Famke Jan Okay, you might say Xenia on the top, which was ridiculous. Thank but, you. But, know, to, to me, <laughs> I always think Jean Grey. You know, James Marsden, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, Rebecca Stamos there doing her damn mystique thing. All right, it was annoying, but it's certainly not as annoying as Jennifer Lawrence. But, again, a lot of people considered that to be her pinnacle role, if you will. Why? I don't know. But wait a minute. I want to interrupt for a second. How, how is Jennifer Lawrence not aging? What the fuck is going on with that? Oh, I don't know. I couldn't understand her. I, I always thought she was kind of strange looking in the face, and she really thinks she's God's gift. I'm like, you're not really that talented. She was girl. very, very young here, but this is yes. like 500 years ago, and <laughs> she's still, uh, she, she's looking very, very, very well. Now, Rebecca Stamos uh, uh, also cameoed in one of the Austin Powers movies, baby, and uh, she looked <laughs> really good at that, too. Yeah. She was a model originally. Mm -hmm. True. You know, and then you've got that wrestler that nobody ever heard of. You know, we were into wrestling. Who the fuck's Tyler Maine? I don't know. Doing Sabretooth. You know, Anna Paquin, who was in weird shit like the piano. You know, art house person. All of a sudden, now she's rogue. Okay, whatever. You know, it was this strange thing, but these people kind of became associated with this role which, and the roles that they had played in these films, which says something. Right. Did you uh, like the movie? I actually loved the movie at the time. Okay. All right. And nowadays, I could say that they were a little bit too dark and, you know, compared to where they go nowadays, I hate to say they try to be faithful to the comics, that's not really true, but they are more faithful than they were at this time, when people were like, well, we're not going to do comic books, much less faithfully, screw that. So there's a lot of studio, I don't say interference, but they had this thing like, oh, let's make it like The Matrix, because The Matrix was popular around that time, and have them all in black leather, like Neo, okay? So that's basically the thing. They changed all their costumes looking identical. You could say that they're trying to go back to the original, you know, Professor X school of the early days, but I don't think that was it. It really was just, let's eat the Matrix. So put them all in black leather. Again, sort of going back to the Gothic and the fetish cultures and all that, too. And, you know, it was basically an origin story for a lot of them. I did not, even to this day, I don't think it's a bad film. I hear some people ragging on it lately. I thought the first two films were pretty decent. Yeah, we should probably, for time's sake, yeah, lump the first two together. I, I, I think the first two films are fine. They're, yeah, they are dark. It's a good point. They are dark. Probably did not get this dark again. Well, maybe the Days of Future Past one, which actually was partly done in, I forget whether it was one or two, that whole business with the senator, what Mike Neal's trying to make him into a mutant. I love that's one of my favorites. Yeah. I love Days of Future Past. That is part of it. If you take the Days of Future Past stuff you saw in the recent movie and combine it with that whole business about the Senator and Mystique and, and Magneto, that becomes the actual two issues of Days of Future Past from the comic book years right. ago. Which right. says something. They did two movies and they still didn't quite get it together for two comics. No, let's move on to the third. I don't think the third was as horrible as a lot of people think. I <sighs> think the problem was they tried to cram way too much stuff into it. 
There was way too many battle sequences. Yes, it was nice to see Magneto let loose a little bit on those cops. Yes, they did sort of try to bring the Dark Phoenix thing in for about three seconds, or at least Phoenix per se. They, they, then they threw in the whole business about Weapon X and that ridiculous Lady Deathstrike thing that they didn't even bother naming. Who was our pal there? Your best friend, Kelly Who from Martial Law. Uh, <laughs> and she, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it was just... All right, was it trying to be like the first two films? Sort of. They crammed way too much in. They lost Brian Singer partway through, if not... I mean, I'm not even sure how far he got in it uh, before he just walked away and went over to do DC movies. That's the problem. It's kind of like all the threes. Well, not all the threes, but the early threes, like when they did Spider-Man 3. and things like, Oh, my God. They just crammed way too much in. They knew it was the end of the series, the trilogy, whatever. And it just got convoluted. There's no... It was kind of like we were saying with Suicide Squad, at least I was... There's, it's an ensemble cast, and you only concentrate on one part, maybe a little bit of another one, and ignore everybody else and everything else that's going on, because you don't have the fucking time. And that's a problem. That's that's very bad plotting, or patchwork after the fact. Like, okay, let's try to make this into a movie, then we get those footage that doesn't match together, fine. I don't know which one happened, but... Well, the director of this was a guy who did the Rush Hour movies, which are highly enjoyable flotsam, you know, with Jackie Chan and... Uh... Not Martin Lawrence, whoever they, Chris Tucker. And um, they work. Uh, he's done a couple other things, which are okay. And I think, yeah, you're, you're jogging my memory here. I think this is one of the first times that Brian Singer disappears halfway through a picture. And they have to bring somebody in. And it's only recently, in recent five years or so, has this whole thing come out that Brian Singer... Is like the Polanski and getting away with it with boys. Yeah. Like, he, he, there was this whole thing in Rolling Stone I read a couple of years ago. There's these parties with, like, the elite of Hollywood. We're talking about agents and execs and pool parties. And, and there's guys between 10 and 20 years old, and they're, you know, they have unshaved bodies, and there's a whole <laughs> bunch of shit going on. And this is, I think, it related to that, why he mysteriously can't finish a spectrum. And, you know, they're bringing this other guy who now we know has problems with ladies because he, he got removed from the new Queen movie. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, these guys, they can't, they can't, like, put their dick in their pants. I don't know. <laughs> so, and the Brian Singer thing even has a twist because a lot of the young men wanted to hang out with them because they wanted to have careers. Yes. Well, so that's yeah. the twist. That's also the probably the weird twist in the Polanski story, and and it turned into a bigger hajmapaj because he ran out of the country. Yes, and I don't blame him. Yep, because he's a foreign-born individual, and you know. But I think that was the same story. You know? I know it was. She Why was known for this, that girl. Yeah, yeah, she was known for that. She was fucking movie stars at Jack Nicholson's house. Probably With her time. mother's approval, and I think she might right. even be present. <laughs> right, exactly. Tiger Why? Mom. Yeah, come on. We all knew stage mothers. Yep. Yeah? Yeah, so I'm not saying this thing is cool. Yeah, I'm not condoning any of this. But nonetheless, there's another side that people don't even listen to when they get hysterical. Right, right. It was like so, I was telling know, my wife yesterday, we were talking about some of this uh, Me Too stuff in relation to uh, a friend of mine, his son has been targeted as, oh, yes, he's bullying some other kid. And it turns out that, number one, 
if you know this kid, there's no way he's bullying anybody. He's, he's not the physical type, and he wouldn't even be the type to go and bully somebody verbally. So it's just complete bullshit by this kid who gets attention from his helicopter mom by saying, that, oh, yes. Like, oh, practically, she goes home and says, okay, did you get bullied today? Yes, uh, you sure I did. And he just throws out a name. And, of course, the school calls them in and all this crap. And I was horrified. I was like, well, this is what I'm trying to tell you all the time about me, too. It's not, oh, yes, women deserve to get, you know, harassed. It's not, oh, yes, you know, men never do this crap and it doesn't happen. Of course it does. And, of course, it's bad. But the problem is we're getting into a crucible situation where people who are just looking for validation or to get attention or to get approval from some group or other or some person or other will just do this crap. I've experienced it in my own life. Not Me Too stuff, but, you know, people that will accuse you of shit that's like, what are you talking about? That's not what happened. But just to go and, I don't know what, maybe deflect the blame from themselves, something they were doing, maybe just to get attention. People are not good. That's the thing about this world. People are basically questionable at best, amoral, if you will, self-interested before all else. You know, it's, and it's, this, this thing is more than just, it's more than just show business. Exactly. You know? It's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. You know, years ago, years ago, and the fact that somebody can ruin somebody's life based on nothing but hearsay, because that was one of the things my friend was saying to the people involved in the administration and all that. It's like, well, has anybody else, any of these other teachers, anybody, the other classmates spoken up and said they've seen him bullying anybody? No. Well, then where's this coming from? Why are we just trusting this one kid's word that's, you know, presumably we know that there's a problem with this kid? You know, and, and why is he still coming around to hang around with this, my son, if he's bullying him? Because that's what keeps happening. He keeps going back to him, and then, you know, whatever supposedly is happening, which probably isn't, that's what's going down. Like, really? This, there's a problem there. Maybe you should look into that. And the fact that, with the case of me, too, a woman can go just say something crazy about a guy and then have his life be ruined. Not like, okay, have it looked into. Maybe they find something. Maybe they don't. Maybe they take him off a project, and then he goes to another project. Whatever. And if it becomes a pattern, then, okay, there's a problem with this guy. No, it's just that's it. Your career is ruined. And if you speak up defending those people, like some of these other guys, like, well, I know these people. They don't do this kind of stuff. They're not like that. I can't picture it. And then they get censured. Oh, my God, you know, getting shouted down. That's a problem. Well, that's a real well, problem. Well, yeah, but well, one thing at the, at the same time, while well, well, that being said, and what I said, too, when when it's found out that, like, in the case of Harvey the Pig Weinstein, when, we, when it comes out what he actually did, and that's like, oh, okay. Oh, he's disgusting, yeah. That's not yeah, me. it's like, I don't I don't need anybody to show me proof on that. I believe it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, you got, like, you got like a hundred plus women coming uh -huh. out. The, no. That's yeah. Here, here's your veritable casting couch right there. Yep. So, uh, so with that, this leads to. All right. Well, bouncing back a bit because this one becomes Blade Two is the next one up, and yes. the only thing I wanted to say really about that is. Guillermo de Toro, I mean, he's done some things that are interesting. I'm certainly waiting for him to do the project that will never happen, Mountains of Madness. Uh, Tom Cruise. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, you know, this did not work. And people just love it, maybe because he's involved with it. But I thought Blade 2 was abominable. It was a really bad CG fest. Some people in it that you might know were like, like Norman Reedus was in this one from The uh, Walking Dead. Uh, Thomas Crutchman's floating around in it as the baddie, of course. Uh, Danny John Jules of Death in Paradise, which is an enjoyable British mystery series, pops up in this one. It was a strange thing to see. And Donnie Yen. But the film's just, I don't know. It was very action-based, 
not a lot of characterization, a lot of bad CG. It was very gory. It was just like, well, this... If you see the first one, and you like it, and you see the third one, and you like it, it doesn't mean you don't like the second one. Whereas some people, basically the, the ones I always hear that love number two, hate the other two with a vengeance. So that should say something. There's kind of a disconnect there with the, this one standing out like a sore thumb in the middle of the series. Oh, I didn't dislike it as much as you did. But you brought up a red herring. Donnie Yen is the actor... Well, he's, he's whatever he is. That, that <laughs> movies have been trying to make happen for like 40 years. How mm-hmm. old is this guy? <laughs> Yo, Jet Li is more wooden than Donnie Yen. But Jet Li is very sick, by the way, nowadays. I heard, yeah. But but he's <laughs> no 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 nothing negative about Jet Li. It's no fact. He's he's wooden, but it works for him. So he manages to transcend that. Jet even even uh, was in a picture with Jay, or two or three movies with Jason Statham. Really early team up movies. So you know, go go for it, man. But you know, Donnie is more wooden than that. And they've been trying to make Donnie Yen be a thing in Hong Kong before he even came over. Yep. It took like 2,000 years before they can actually do something with Donnie Yen. And that was in, <laughs> Ro- what was that? The, the Star Wars movie. Ro- yes. Fish, Rogue, whatever it was. Nation or whatever it was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that one. And he was great in it. It was like, wow, it took 250 years for him to learn how to emote. That's great. <laughs> and, he, and he's blind, too. <laughs> Remember? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't dislike it as much as you. Um, but, yeah, it definitely, one's great, three is promising, and two has issues. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. So uh, now we get to Spider-Man, which is actually another three-part series like X-Men. Tobey Maguire did a uh, problematic but actually pretty good uh, Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. I found that... He was such a nebbish... I mean, just the way they wrote him, not not him, him as an actor, that it's like you constantly want to hit him. Like, come on. Really? You're going to let her go, you stupid ass? Or are you going to do that? Come on, wake up. Just go stand up for yourself. You know, Go and get what you want. Why are you being a freaking idiot? You're going to lose out. So you're really, in one sense, invested in his performance and the character. But in the other sense, you want to kill him and or the writers for what they keep doing to him. And I guess that's part of the Spider-Man thing as it goes anyway. Because for some reason, I've actually heard like Marvel editors and writers saying, oh, yeah, the whole thing about Spider-Man is you want to see bad stuff happened to him. You can't let him have a good day. I'm like, really? That really are we that much Schadenfreude? The character's nothing but Schadenfreude. I have a problem with that mentality. But nonetheless, that's kind of the way people want to see this, and he really brings that across. So that's annoying to me. But it's not the fault of his acting. If anything, it's probably quite the opposite. Nonetheless, I thought he was a good Spider-Man, and not. I'm sorry for me, Spider-Man will always be Nicholas Hammond, but I still do like him. Kristen Dunst, who, the, as far as I'm concerned, the only other thing she ever did was interview with a vampire. As a little kid, but she's tried to do some art house stuff and some other things. Again, she's one of those ones that, to me now, will always be just be Mary Jane. I did like her in these films. I know why, because she was in that scene all wet. Well, that too, yes, that helped. (laughs) And she was a redhead, so there you go. Uh, uh, There you go. One of my weaknesses. So uh, Willem Dafoe was in this one. Okay, yeah, you know he is what he is. But I thought he did okay as the the Green Goblin. James Franco was in it. Eh, That's basically it. Although I will say that in early scenes when they had, you know, because Spider-Man has this whole thing where he walks away from the criminal that ends up shooting uh, his Uncle Ben uh, when he's trying to make money as a wrestler. So who's the wrestler in there? 
Randy Savage, the Macho Man, before he died. But, <laughs> but that's basically it. I liked the first one. I thought the second one may have been better, and the third one, of course, falls apart. So what's your take on these? On all three, well, the one thing is sidestep, but, like, directed by Sam fucking Raimi. Which is strange, because this is a guy that was known for the Evil Dead movies, and things like Darkman, and, you know, really bizarre outsider art. He did that, he did that, true, true indeed, and then he did this, uh, odd sleeper of a movie almost like a Coen picture a Coen Brothers movie with Billy Bob Thornton Bill Paxton and some chick and it was very much in the vein of that and I think that helped him get this thing and that, so yeah Sam fucker Raimi you know who went all the way from Evil Dead is like directing 150 million dollar movie which uh, is just great and he remembered Bruce Yes. You know, and he put Bruce in every one of these pictures, even yep. in a small, tiny part, but, you know, thank God. So, with that being said, Sam's a bit of an eccentric individual. Yes. And um, in real life, I have to presume. I've never heard anybody say anything bad about this guy, ever. He's just weird, eccentric, and likes stuff that we do, and maybe likes stuff that we don't. Uh, I don't know much about him beyond that, but uh, I think Spider-Man, the first one, is fine. What's interesting about all three of these movies is that for whatever age Toby was when they uh, signed him on to the first Spider-Man, we actually see him age by the time of the third picture. Even Actually, sorry, by the time of the second picture, and by the third picture, like Spider, Spider-Mature. You know, it sounds like a porno parody, but you no, know, anyway, it's like, yeah, Toby, Toby, definitely aged uh then he stopped <laughs> he stopped aging <laughs> after he did the spider-man movies he stopped aging um and he was a weird choice this is the guy that was known mostly for seabiscuit like really <laughs> why'd you know, pick him spider-man i didn't think it was an awful movie I, I don't know how i got to see that what's funny they pick a type like tom hollander who's spider-man now right mm-hmm. yeah they pick they pick a particular type that all looks like the same guy yes and all portray him the same way which which Interesting. You know, it's open for debate there. Yeah. I, I, you know, yeah, the third one, a lot of people hate it. It's just, you know, here's a problem with the Spider-Man films directed by Sam. The most memorable one is the first. The really dark one. It's the second. That's what I like. It's the second one. Yeah. The third one is where, to put it all in perspective, I think a lot of people dislike the third one because I think he wanted to go even darker, but then couldn't. Because of how much money it was costing to make these things at this time. I thought it was the same thing as the X-Men movies, where they just threw too much shit in. Like, oh, let's throw in Dr. Octopus, let's throw in the Lizard, let's throw in, you know, whatever, Electro and Sandman. Like, come on, really? It just got to be too much. I forgot who was in which of the films there from 2 and 3. But it, there was too many things going on at the same time. Was and it Jamie, Jamie Foxx in the third one? Uh-huh. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I did like them. And it's also the film's theories that started the Stanley cameos, for those of you who are interested in those, that are kind of ubiquitous in these Marvel movies. So, next up was Daredevil, which, another Fox film. A lot of people, especially retroactively, hate it. I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. This is where Ben Affleck met Jennifer Garner, who he's been on and off and on and off and on and off with, as wife, you know, outside, uh, separated, back together, you know, about to get divorced, getting back together, whatever the hell. You know, he was okay. You know, it's Ben Affleck. He is what he is. I don't mind him, but he's hardly what I would consider a fantastic actor. Jennifer Garner basically came in off of Alias, where she played the Sydney, whatever her name is, who was such a wonderful secret agent that you weren't supposed to be able to tell it was her, even though she has a 
this really distinctive face and chin and bone structure that anybody would know it was her no matter what kind of wig she was wearing. And she's uh, broad. And she's broad, too. Yeah, I mean, she's got a very odd look. And the, the fact that you were supposed to not know it was her no matter what she did. It was like, I was watching some old Sherlock Holmes, and every time Basil Rathbone dresses up, you know, Sherlock Holmes is supposed to be a disguise master. I was like, you know it's him. He walks in that room. How can you just not know that nose and that chin and that face? Mm-hmm. Come on. So she was like that. So I always laughed at that show. But she comes in here and she does Electra. And, you know, for a basically what wound up being a walk-on role, she wasn't bad at all. I actually thought she was kind of the lifeblood of this movie. And probably it's a raison d'etre, if you will, because the movie really is about Electra much more than it is about uh, Matt Murdock himself. Or the Kingpin, who was Michael Clark Duncan, who I think is dead. Is, is that true? Yes, Yeah, I mean, he was... Um, yeah, and it's funny because, you know, he's supposed to be like this fat guy, but he's all muscle, which we always laughed at in the comics. Like, he's a big fat guy, supposed to be all muscle. But nonetheless, he's a big dude. And so I don't know what happened there. Like, I think he had a heart attack, to be honest with you. But he was a big freaking guy, and he actually was intimidating in that role. The one thing I really hated about this movie, and I despise with a vengeance, Colin Farrell, who was hot off of some stupid-ass movie, comes in as Bullseye, and instead of playing him as this, you know, slick assassin who can, you know, make turn anything into a deadly object or whatever, he's there, like, goggle-eyed and freaking out with ticks and, you know, just acting like a spaz, and somehow this is supposed to be, this was his idea of, okay, this guy's a little unbalanced. A little unbalanced? Holy crap, I'm surprised he wasn't walking around saying, I am Napoleon. I mean, it was one of the worst performances ever in a comic book film. Congratulations, Mr. Colin Farrell. Horrible, horrible, horrible. I am amazed that people, like, praised it. Maybe they were just nuts or all smoking the same drugs at the time. I don't know what the deal was. Well, 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 what I think there happened is, you know, sometimes people hire people for particular things. and They probably said, what do you want to do with this? And, and possibly they allowed him... I don't know. I'm just presuming. You know, maybe they allowed him to run with the character. Yeah, he ran with it, right? He ran to, it right to, to the ground. <laughs> to create... You know, don't forget, there's this whole thing for certain actors to create a background that doesn't exist. You know, mm-hmm. to create a whole family life that doesn't exist because right. the stuff is all on paper. You know? And uh, it's it, it's odd. I did not like Daredevil. Oh! <gasps> A lot of people don't. I, I didn't like Daredevil. I didn't even like Electra. I liked that a lot less. Well, that um, we'll get to that. I, I, I didn't like Daredevil until the Marvel the Marvel Cable series. So I'll put it at that. And, you know, I'll tell you this, though. I will say this. You thought Ben Affleck was adequate? Uh, I thought he was adequate, too. I think he was. He did a fine job. And a lot of people, I, I, I want to be respectful to the man. He's going through a very, very tough time with his alcoholism. I'm being serious right now. Um, and he seems to be having a really, really hard time, according to these pictures, that some shutterbug, some photographer who should be sent to Siberia, really, <laughs> some guy took pictures of them getting into the car and out of the car, and he just looks terrible. And it was Jennifer Garner and either his girlfriend or a friend of hers, and you could just see. He was, you know, he just, he looked like he was, like, fucking drunk, wasted. Yeah, he was drinking and gambling himself into oblivion. That's the problem. It's not yeah. like they have relationship problems, quote-unquote. The problem is she can't handle that. She's trying to raise her kids up, and here's this guy that's, like, gambling and drinking all the money away. <laughs> well, yeah, and they're not even together, you know. He's, yeah. And, 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 and he's probably forfeited a major a major movie franchise role because of this, because I'm sure they don't want to wait around forever for him. Oh, yeah. But we'll get to that. 
some other time. <laughs> but um, no, I feel really bad for him. You know, he's he's not a terrible guy. He's not a terrible actor, yeah. and uh, he's just not fit for certain things. Although, again, we both agree he's fine in this role. So then we get to the first of many, many failed Hulk films. First one was by Ang Lee, which the main thing I remember about this damn film mm-hmm. was, number one, I hated it, but number two, <laughs> that it was all, he's trying to do comic panels. He had these like weird swipes and mm-hmm. not thought bubbles, but close enough. I'm like, oh, let's do this, and we'll surround the face on a panel, and we'll, we'll swoop it into the other one like a PowerPoint presentation. I'm like, this is so fucking dumb. I mean, this guy was known for, like, glacial dramas like, you know, The Ice Storm, and they put him on this horrible Hulk movie. Like, oh my god. This Eric Bana guy, he's vanished into oblivion. I don't know what his deal was. Jennifer Connelly, you know, who's from a couple of Argento films and things like that. She was kind of a sex symbol back in the 80s, and she pops up here as Betty Ross, and I don't know. I wasn't she won, she won Best Actress for I think uh, that movie where Skinny Russell Crowe. Um, yeah. <laughs> I refer to it as Skinny. <laughs> the fucking mountain now. Um, <laughs> speak of the mind, whatever it's called. The, the picture oh, of the mind, that one? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no, uh, she's, she's still around. Sam Elliott was in this one. Yeah, you know, Sam Elliott. This is when he actually became that character that you see in commercials and all that. It was mm. well after the Mission Impossible thing, but we did talk some amusing stuff about him. During and Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Yep. Nick yeah. Nolte is in this, the fat, drunk Nick Nolte. You know, well after <laughs> stuff like was that North Dallas 40 and all that. <laughs> where, where, he, where he was like the... Not so fat, drunk, Nick Nolte, yes. <laughs> it was just really, really bad. And basically, Sam Elliott, I think it was, oh no, it was Nolte, becomes more or less the absorbing man, but not quite, because he never comes out and says that, and he doesn't have his wrecking ball, and he's just, it's, it's just, again, studio meddling and bad direction and bad writing. So I think it's just the one with Edward Norton? Uh, no, no. This was the one with uh, Eric Bana. This is before the Norton one. Oh, Eric Bana, yeah. Who used to be real? What happened to Eric Bana? That's what he disappeared. Uh, so, uh, Ang Lee, who, as my co-host just uh, mentioned, uh, was known for glacial dramas, Ice Storm, name check, yeah, perfect uh, thing. It was thought of as like the ooh movie everybody must see, and it felt like a fucking Ice Storm. You want to get yeah. the fuck away from there as fast as possible. <laughs> um but he did. He did make. He did make homosexual fucking among cowboys really popular. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I hope I don't get quoted on that for the rest of my, the homosexual cowboys. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be quoted on that for the rest of my life. Did you really say that? Yeah. Um, broke ass mountain. Uh, <laughs> broke ass mountain. Actually, I never read that book. And, and <laughs> these guys get choked. <laughs> that, uh, no, Brokeback Mountain, which was Heath. Ledger on uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, and it was I, I never again I never read that book. The only gay cowboy for me is Randy Jones. <laughs> He's a nice guy who actually lived in the building next to me, and I didn't know it when I lived in East Village. It's another story. So anyway, uh, yeah, uh, say Brookback Mountain. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I never read that book, and I saw that movie, and I'm like, oh, and. I was like, yeesh. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It's like one of the few Hollywood movies I have fucking where my dick did not get hard, thankfully. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very sweet movie, actually. And I'm glad that somebody made it because, you know, for too long people have been turning their backs on something that exists. I'm not just talking about sex between cowboys. I'm just talking about, I mean, in general. 
all we had was cruising, and then for 40 years, we got nothing. But cruising was great. So, <laughs> no, so I would take it to you if you got the yellow, the brown. <laughs> Left pocket, right I was pocket. Like, don't wear th- <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was about to say. And I was like, don't wear the white handkerchief. Why not? What do you mean, why not? Why not? Why don't you want me to wear the yellow handkerchief? And everybody was like, this is, means you take it, this means you give it, and this means say, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't remember that. I don't know. So, no, kudos to him for that. <laughs> for cruising? <laughs> no, no, no. Brookback Mountain. For making it, and you know, it won a lot of awards. It was nominated for a lot of awards. I think. Cruising? I think. <laughs> I think Heath, Heath might have died by the time uh, this came out. I'm not I think sure. So, yeah. It was close to that. Because this and The Dark Knight were both around the same time period. So, but why would you give this guy the Hulk? Yeah. Not because of the subject matter of that movie. It's just like he has not made anything like this. But then again, didn't they say about an hour or so ago that sometimes production companies behind these films think, well, let's give him a shot. And sometimes it works. So next up comes another Punisher movie. This is the one with Thomas Jane. And John Travolta pops up in it. Roy Scheider pops up in it for a minute. Yeah, and I saw this. Yeah. Rebecca Imogen again from The Mystique pops up in this thing. It's smaller scale than the Duff Lundgren one. There's no Yakuza trying to take over the mob involved. It's mostly just more origin story. Oh, look, his family gets killed. He's getting revenge on the mobster that got him. Typical Punisher stuff. A lot of people liked it. A lot of people who put down the Dolph Lundgren one for being too, I guess, too 80s, loved this one. I thought it was too boring and dark. You know, there's there's a certain level of dark that I love, like a dark gothic, and then there's a dark, just like, you know, grim and gritty comic books that I despise, and that's what this is. It's kind of like a bad modern gang movie, like, oh, no, no thanks. Like like a Scorsese movie, but without the talent. It's like, eh, I, I could do without this, thanks. <laughs> well... It's a, yeah, it's an interesting movie because uh, Travolta around this time period was doing a lot of pictures. Yep. Some worked, some didn't. This similar kind of role here, a Swordfish, actually, enjoyable fucking movie. A million dollars a boob. That's a fun picture. <laughs> I mean, we, we could actually do a, a show on Travolta and actually not go to hell for it because he's done some really good things. <laughs> I, I, I'll stand by that. I think John Travolta has done some really good fucking movies. And he's done some really bad decisions. <laughs> and he's done some really bad movies where he doesn't even try. But we can say that about Bruce. So, anyway, the thing that's sad about this movie is that Roy Scheider was really sick with, uh, I think, stage four cancer. Yeah. And it shows a lot. He just looks weak tired and old and it's not the Roy you know it's not the aging Roy Scheider we would expect this is like this is yeah you see anybody who you know is ill is like this is the fucking dying Roy Scheider it's heartbreaking Thomas Jane who probably hasn't made any film better than Deep Rising (laughs) which I think is Stephen Norrington of all people it's a great freaking shark CGI movie with uh, Samuel L. Jackson, a.k.a. The Manders and Everything. Yes. That's a new thing with me on Netflix lately, uh, uh, folks. Uh, every time I choose a Netflix movie, it's like, oh, my God, Samuel L. Jackson's in it. Oh, my God, Samuel L. Jackson's in it. <laughs> he needs to pay off his rent or something. I saw something from 1987. Who's the young black guy? Samuel L. Jackson. I was like, holy shit. I saw Jurassic Park, the first one. It was a rewatch because, you know, I haven't seen it in a long time. So, you know what? I haven't seen that in decades. Let me watch it. Who's the scientist? 
Samuel L. Jackson. It's like Morgan Freeman was years ago. It's like he's pops up yeah. every fucking thing. Well, we need a black guy for this role. Yeah, let's both Samuel L. All right. <laughs> yeah. It's either Morgan or Samuel. And I was like, damn, look at that. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> now Thomas Jane's interesting because I believe this guy has screwed every major possibility. Something's up with this guy. Every time he gets a project, or a career motivator to put him on the right path. Something happens with him. Although he did do that, he had that cable series for a couple of years, uh, HBO, where he played a hung. Oh, it was called Hung. Yeah, it was like three or four years. He like he was like the guy next door was hung, and of course everybody wanted to fuck him. <laughs> so it was like, okay, okay, that's your male your male fantasy thing right there. You know, it's like, hi, do you do you need me to cut your lawn on fourteen inches? No. <laughs> that would be a great line. It's like, you lied to me. Yeah, well, it's too late. So, <laughs> Was that Mick Jagger's story? <laughs> or David hey. Lee Roth used to stuff with socks? <laughs> don't, don't mess with rock gods. Uh, uh, anyway, then comes Blade Trinity, which, all right, it depends how you look at things, but for me, this is actually my favorite of the Blades. I won't say it's the best but it was the most fun of them. Because it's not just about Blade and Chris Christopherson fighting vampires. It's more of Blade gets, well, not a family, but like a team. It's not just a trinity in terms of the third Ryan of the film. Reynolds, right. It's he's got Ryan Reynolds, who was kind of just sticking before the proposal. So this was him up and coming. With Jessica Biel, who is you know, obviously a very good-looking girl. Uh, I know that for a while they had some kind of thing where don't click on any pictures of Jessica Biel because they're infected with viruses. That's a big thing all over the Internet. And I don't know what the hell happened to her since. But the three of them work really well together. I mean, I think that Wesley actually took a back seat to them in a lot of cases, which is interesting. You know, the bad thing is Chris Christopherson gets killed off. Triple H, of all people, you know, the wrestler shows up in this thing. Uh, and some of the strange casting choices. Parker Posey, really? Francois yeah. Yip, I mean, okay. Patton Oswalt shows up in this. He was up and coming at the time, too. Yeah, Parker Posey, who was in a lot of heavy, serious dramas yes. around this time period. So it was like really fucking oddball casting. And Francois Yip is one of the Hong Kong actresses yep. who actually did heavy, serious pictures in Hong Kong at this time period. So it was like, okay, so we're going to populate this film with some really strange <laughs> casting choices. Yeah. Eric Bogosian's in this one, really? Okay. Yeah, here we go, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you've got these up-and-coming comedians like Patton Oswalt and Ryan Reynolds. I'm like, okay, this is an odd choice. But yet it works really well for what it is. I mean, again, if you're comparing it against the first one, if you like the really dark and bloody tone of the second one, you probably hate it, and a lot of people did. But I really love this film. I always thought it was great fun. I don't know what else there is to say about it. I mean, once again, Blaze out there trying to kill Dracula. They're trying to bring back Dracula, and he's going to become immortal, and whatever the hell else. You know, the usual bullshit. But it's just lots of fun to... The journey is more fun than the end goal with a lot of superhero movies. Who is Dracula in this was Patton Oswalt? Uh, no. Oswalt, <laughs> that'd be hilarious. <laughs> It was a guy that you could barely understand. He had the Russian accent. I was probably fake anyway. But And they actually called him Drake throughout the whole thing, which is even funnier. I'm like, Drake? Why? Well, I, I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> that guy was terrible. The CG, of course. It's the way it was. You know, CG is never a thing of mine. and Especially when you watch old CG. I'm like, oh, my 
God. It's like when you go back to old video games, like a couple systems back, and like, this looks like crap. So that's what's going to happen with three quarters of the movies out there. Once you get to the, everybody's going to go back to pre-CG and either like or hate those films, and then fuck everything that's made with CG because they're going to be impossible to watch. So like Sega Genesis, like yes, that, right? Exactly. We actually Shenmue. They're putting out Shenmue three finally after like what is it, a decade more on, uh, I think, PS4. So they re-released those old Dreamcast games of Shenmue 1 and 2 and supposedly cleaned them up. They did not clean them up. It looks exactly the same as it did on the Dreamcast, which means really bad camera work, blocky characters. Of course, the hilarious voice acting, although they didn't touch that. But, you know, they're fun games, but it's like, wow, this was horrible. Remember, this was like the the pinnacle was the vanguard at the time. Now it's like, ooh, that's bad. And that's what's going to happen with all these CG movies when you go back to them. You look at it, it's like, wow, that really sucked. But again, I did really like Blade Trinity. It actually is my favorite of the three. I know that's heresy. Brian Reynolds is great in it, and the whole film is fun. Oh, it's good. I agree with you. All right, so next up was Electra, which you had kind of mentioned before. Wow. <laughs> Luckily, we saw this in that dollar theater and we talked about. Jennifer Garner pops up again as Electra, And like I said, I liked her a lot in the other, the Daredevil movie. So I'm like, okay, this is supposedly a prequel or she's back from the dead or whatever the hell kind of bullshit. You know, who knows? Even Miller's fucked up on that one. Let's go see this. I don't know what kind of crack they were smoking there at 20th Century Fox. This film is like... Okay, I'll give this away. It's about being a mother. That's really what this film is about. Because they even had a song that closed out when she goes in. This is, we'll get to that in a minute. But this whole thing where she saves this fucking girl is supposed to be like the treasure and you know the, the new hope of the Assassin's Guild. The hand, of course, she's raising her right because you know she's made her mistakes as, and now she's getting to be a mother to this girl. And it closes out right after that on this song. I never gave birth. I'm like, really? Seriously? It was like when I saw Silent Hill. And it was like, a mother is God in the eyes of a child. And that's what saves the day at the end. I'm like, really? This is some kind of fucking yuppie thing about family? Fuck you. So <laughs> that's what that said. I left. I said, fuck you with this. But, you know, Garner, you like her, you hate her. I kind of like her. She's a, She's got a, a winning personality, if you want to say. She seems very simple and innocent. I, I don't know what the hell she's doing with those fucking Bible movies and crap she's doing lately. But when it comes to films that you can actually watch, <laughs> like Electra, it's like, well, okay, she's got a winning personality. But what a film. Terrence Stamp is in this, believe it or not, slumming as Stick, who's uh, Electra's mentor, taught her kung fu or whatever the hell. And there's this whole thing with the hand, which is Frank Miller's lame group of ninjas that chases after him. He's actually the guy that brought ninjas to comic books, people. Back when the ninja craze was going on in the 80s, thanks to Canon Films. We talked about that during the Canon show. It's just an abominable film. You're spending a lot of time on a movie you don't like. <laughs> oh, it is so... It's just trying to watch this. It's like, wow, why... So what's your take on this one? Well, if you're like me... No, nobody's like me. But if you were like me, and... You enjoy Marvel's Daredevil on cable. I feel like I'm promoting this. And Elektra appearing on it. And the Defenders, where they had the hand. And Stick with St- Scott Glenn playing Stick, which actually makes a little sense. And so that's the way it's done right. And then you go back and see this. <laughs> and you say, well, that's the way it's not done right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say this, though, not to be too harsh on them. They'd had sort of success with Daredevil, which we just spoke of, with Ben Affleck, and, you know, she played a lecturer in that. And so they probably, this is a period where they said, let's see what we could do for um, 
how how can we get some projects together? And I said, oh, you know, this kind of worked. She was a small part in Daredevil. Maybe we can do a whole picture with her. And maybe create a whole series. Daredevil will be in her picture. She'll be in, you know, this is like maybe also the beginning of that thinking. Yes. But you did not have a good crew behind this. You had, you know, I'm not going to say the casting was bad because oddball casting sometimes works for these things. It just didn't work here. And I don't know, just... I don't know who's to blame on this one. I don't want to lay the blame at her feet. It, it could be the director. I think it's the director or the writer. Yeah, it's so... It's just sometimes movies don't work. Yeah. Speaking of which, here comes Fantastic Four. <laughs> yes. With Tim Story. I think this is the guy that was known for Barbershop, the Barbershop films. Yeah. Which, okay, you know, for modern-day, you know, urban-type comedies, like, you know, think of, like, the kid in play movies, you know, the house party films, or going back even further, Disorderlies with the Fat Boys, or, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. All right, for those, it was relatively entertaining. I remember laughing at them trying to steal the vending machine, and had no, the ATM, and it had no fucking money in it, and they didn't know how to open it. And... These were urban movies, even of their time, that, that people liked, yeah. because especially if you grew up young, black, and Latino... And I don't know. See, everybody seemed to always think white people were like professional and like rich. I don't know where the fuck that came. <laughs> but anyway, we were just as broke as you guys, maybe more so. Yeah. Uh, you probably have more money than us, man. <laughs> so anyway, because you're selling drugs, that's why. No, anyway. <laughs> that's a joke, people. Was it? No. I can't speak for I you. I really assume saw, so. <laughs> I very really saw white guys selling drugs. I bought all my drugs from black guys. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway except the cocaine the cocaine came from guys that usually call Chetto <laughs> and they had really hot cars like I'll meet you downstairs in my car man <laughs> you want a hundred I'll give you a hundred well right. so anyway, anyway did I... so they drag him uh, out of these films like you're mentioning and put him on Fantastic Four like what what the fuck are you thinking the only thing that does work about these films and I will say more so in the second one which is the worst film was the quibbling Red sibling Slim. rivalry thing going on oh. between Johnny and Ben, which, okay, you know, they're not even related, really, but, you know, he calls him uncle. And so it was all over the comic books back in the early days, especially when Stan Lee was writing it. And it works well enough here. Otherwise, oh, boy. This nobody named Ian Gruffud, God knows what happened to him, or God knows where he even came from. Oh, he's an art house guy. He was an art house movie guy. Yeah. Jessica Alba, who I mentioned the, the famous story with the day laborers at this theater we're talking about, come in during their lunch break or whatever the hell, sit there, watch a movie to cool off in the summertime, it's air conditioned at least, and she comes up on screen, gets a close-up, and he's like, Dominicano! And spits in the seat in front of him, gets up and leaves. He was that disgusted with her. I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> Glad I saw that. But she's really not like a great actress or anything, despite... <laughs> Whatever you want to say about her. She came off of that awful Dark Angel series that... Who was mm. doing that? Was that a Joss Whedon one? Oh, no, it was James, James Cameron. Cameron. Yeah, bad series. And had a bad, even worse video game from it. You know, she's in this thing. Chris Evans, believe it or not, this is kind of like how yeah. Ryan Reynolds wants to forget about Green Lantern and mocks it all the time. Chris Evans occasionally will come up and mock and say how he says it never happened, the Fantastic Four movies, because he was the Human Torch. And mm-hmm. there was actually a story one time, we were at a comic store, we were hanging out with some of those people, and that's actually where I met my hippie friend that I talk about sometimes. He was worked in the shop, he didn't care about comics at all anymore since the 60s, but that was a job for him. But nonetheless, this one guy comes in, that was a regular, 
black dude, and you're kind of hefty. He's, he's like the comic relief in one of the barbershop films. Picture that. And he comes in, he's like, man, I don't know, man. I ain't gay, but that Chris Evans, man, I'd let him do me. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and we made him repeat it. He was gone for like five or ten minutes about this. And then he walks out after like buying something, and we all looked at each other, like four or five of us, they were like, Wow, that was a real information dump. <laughs> what the hell? Because he's like, yeah, man, he, he's got pecs on him. Mm. I'm like, okay. We know what's going on in the closet in your uh, house. <laughs> I, I've heard that a lot. I've heard that a lot about not Chris Evans. Though. I remember when the, when the second Mission Possible movie come that came out, the most derided one, which yeah. we discussed a show or two ago. And I met a lot of people going like, dude, man. I'll let Tom Cruise do me. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, what? And, what? <laughs> exactly. It was like, we still talk about it to this day because it was like, wow, okay. Uh, glad but but now that guy's happier, though. Don't you see he's in a happy place because he'd be being doomed, done by Captain America. I guess so. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> We didn't need to know that about him. We didn't know much else about him, but there you go. Uh, because the human torch would really burn him. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> but he tries to play down this role to this day. He just, he'd rather talk about Captain America. Nonetheless, we also have Michael Chiklis, who was on that stupid The Shield. I don't know why they pulled him in, but I mean, okay, whatever. He played Belushi in the movie. Remember? Really? I didn't remember yeah. that one. There was a horrible Dr. Doom in this one. Kerry Washington, who made some kind of success for herself with that scandal crap later on, was in this one as Alicia. Uh, yes, it was Alicia. Now she's black. Okay, fine. Deal with it. Uh, <laughs> Maria Menounos, the one that got married on freaking TV there on the New Year's Eve, was in this one as, quote, sexy nurse. Yes, that's her credit. And, of course, it's another one of those Stan Lee cameos. But this time it's actually more amusing and apropos because he's playing Willie Lumpkin, the mailman that used to come around every once in a while, the joke character. So he didn't wiggle his ears, though. Really, I, these, these films, both of them, the second one was much, much worse. There's a lot more bad CG with the Silver Surfer and Galactus in it. and uh, But, you know, they really weren't good at all. I mean, even at the time, it was like Electra. It was like, nobody really liked these films, and there's a good reason for that. So what do you want to say about them? Well, yeah, the funny thing was... Uh... Okay, how can I put this in some kind of weird perspective? Now, Tim Story made, as you said, seriously, we're being serious now. He made these you know, these films that appealed to everybody, and you know, the barbershop films are really, you know, actually pretty well done, you know, yeah. for what they were, and there were a couple other things he did. First of all, <laughs> let's put it in perspective here. He's a director, he's a man of color being offered a Fantastic Four film, so you know that's good for you, man. Applause. Because, you know, that didn't happen too much. Yeah, you know, exactly. Now, now it ha- happens a little bit more, but not that much back then. Yeah. I mean, we just spoke about how women are being offered directing parts. That didn't happen much then either. That didn't happen much. It happened less than. He was one of the first people to be, you know. Uh, Given major, a major property. Yeah. Major property. Was he up to it? I don't think so. No. Did he all. have the skill to do that? I don't think so. Did they try to rush a picture? He may. Now, here, I'm going to try to be fair to him. He may have been trying to take his time, especially with the second one, to try to get it right, knowing that there were problems with the first picture and there was some negativity surrounding the first picture. And I think on the second one, he was trying to really take his time, and they were rushing him to get it mm-hmm. done. I mean, 
we all wanted to see Silver Surfer. Why hasn't Silver Surfer shown up yet? Everybody was excited when Silver Surfer was going to be in this movie, and then when everybody saw the movie, like, ah, oh, forget it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't want to put the blame entirely at Tim Story's feet. You can blame Fox for this, you know, and, and, you know, at the end of, where's the one that everybody died? It came out last year. Oh, the Infinity like, War shit. Oh yeah, yeah, God, yeah, 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 Infinity Wars, which I liked a lot. You Oof. didn't. We'll get to that. Yeah. But when at the very end, when Samuel L. Jackson looked at the, the thing, and he goes, no, you're getting the feeling, maybe this will save us. I was thinking they're going to bring the Fantastic Four. No, they're going to bring fucking Captain Marvel, a chick I never heard of. <laughs> All these guys are dead. The most powerful beings in the universe are dead. So let's bring somebody you never heard of before. I mean, the only Captain Marvel I ever knew about was the Billy Batson thing, and that's like the worst trailer I've seen since oh, Greece. That one. Yeah, that's awful. That's a terrible trailer. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about that one? Or no. So uh, next up was the third X Men we were talking about. So again, the correct way I said earlier, this one was more about the mutant cure, if you will. Everybody coming running to do this thing, and of course, there's a gotcha to it, and almost as an afterthought, you know, the second film they had at the end where the, the shadow comes up with the phoenix or whatever, you can't think that they were going to go there. So we're all expecting at least phoenix, if not dark phoenix from this. So they tried to cram a little bit of an in, almost as an afterthought though. It was like part of many plots going on. And this is a story that, honestly, to this day, is probably the greatest story in the comics medium. It's where comics actually go adult. When you go from the Proteus thing, which was a fantastic horror film with a, a lot of atmosphere that went three issues back in the 70s, to the whole thing with the Hellfire Club, which is a long build, because Proteus was actually part of it. There's a long, long build. What's going on with Jean? Why is she acting weird? Why is she getting these flashbacks? Why is she tra- acting really strange around everybody around her? Having memory dropouts and whatever the hell else. You know, basically snapping on people and doing things that she wouldn't normally do. And all of a sudden it builds into Dark Phoenix. Long run, probably about two years worth of stuff. It was by monthly at the time, but still. Very, very adult, and it taps into a lot of things. There's a lot of things about sex. There's a lot of things about adult issues, relationship issues. And there was a lot of stuff that was even deeper about confronting yourself and who you are as a person. And this Jungian stuff about confronting the shadow. There's a lot of archetypal things in there. You can even go mystical. There's there was so much going on. This whole thing about being the personification of the Kali. You could throw a lot into what was written. And yet, what did they do here? Maybe about you know 15 minutes worth of bad CG. And, oh, okay, everything's done fine at the end. No Shi'ar, no worlds getting destroyed. Just like, eh, let's just get this out of here and shut the fanboys up. And boy, what a piece of shit. And you still hear about it to this day. It's known as one of the worst comic book movie adaptations ever. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So next up, we have Ghost Rider, the Nicolas Cage movie, which is actually pretty damn funny. I did enjoy it for what it was, but it's bad. Ava Mendez was supposed to become She-Hulk. Never did. Popped up in this one as his girlfriend. Cage is Johnny Blaze, which is a really strange choice, but he's actually part of the reason the film got made. He was funding it. He was pushing for it. He was a huge Ghost Rider fan. This fellow shows up Wes Bentley as 
this guy that's supposed to be the son of Satan and he's fighting Satan for power of hell or something. Yeah, he's a very strange Horrible guy. actor. Yeah, he's really bad. Sam Elliott's in this one and he is the original Ghost Rider, the cowboy guy. All right, whatever. Rebel Wilson as a fat girl in an alley. It literally, her cash credit is girl in alley. Well, yeah, you can't miss her. Uh, if you've seen that thing, what was the one they had recently with the comedy? And she's trying to climb into a taxi wow. through the window, Digi Hazard style? Wow. And Peter Fonda's in it, which is why we mentioned it fairly recently, because we did a Fonda show. Who is the devil? I think it was really stunt casting. He definitely phoned this one in. But it was interesting for certain reasons. I did enjoy the film being a piece of fluff. Like, you know, this is a comic book thing. Like, they tried. Well, it's better than its sequel. So, this movie was directed by the uh, <laughs> the team of, I think, Nebedrian and Taylor. I know, right? Who? <laughs> they did these two bizarre, maybe three, two bizarre movies called Crank. Crank 1, Crank 2, maybe Crank 3. I don't remember. There's three. With our boy Jason, Jason Statham. These movies were done as if... You remember that scene, Al Pacino? Hey, Al Pacino in Scarface with the yep. mounds of coke? And he just yep. plops his head. These movies must have been conceived that way. The crank <laughs> movies, you've seen them, right? They're weird. They're weird. Like, here's a guy whose heart stops. And, like, he has, you know, like, who was in this? A- Amy Adams, who's like a big starlet now. But she was starting out by in the first picture. I remember his heart stops and he needs adrenaline and they can't jump start. So he has to fuck her in front of a crowd of people. Like right now, he has to fuck in order to get his heart racing. I was like, what is this? What am I watching? I like it, though. Yeah. So, <laughs> and the second picture was Bay Ling, everybody's favorite twat. So, yeah, you know, I was like, and David Carradine before he died mysteriously. <laughs> less said the better. Yeah, less said the better. Somebody was shocked when I told him about that. You mean David Carradine died with trannies? Yeah, yeah, everybody knows that. Don't say anything. Auto asphyxiation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, he wasn't alone apparently. So, mm-hmm. so those movies are like weird. So why would you, why would you give them property like Ghost Rider? <laughs> it's like okay, so we know Nick Cage is crazy. Who by now the directors are crazy? <laughs> right. Uh, who by the way has a picture out in theaters this week called Mandy, which everybody's going crazy over, and I'm very curious about it. That's Nick Cage, by the way. Which you should all check out because I've seen some reviews of people who have seen it. Said Nick Cage is back and he's more insane than usual. So, uh, what can I say about this movie or the sequel, which is not as good? Yeah. Uh, yeah, stunt casting, cool casting, cool casting. I mean, for guys like you and me, it's cool casting. Because the movie doesn't work, it becomes stunt no. casting. Nick Cage was going to be Superman. We all know this now. For Tim Burton. And uh, they got so far to do some shots, uh, screen tests, costume fittings. You know what? The more I see it, there's a bloody documentary about that. The more I see of that, I'm like, you know, this could be interesting. Or could have been interesting. Nick Cage still wants to be a superhero. And he may he may yet get his shot. God knows. <laughs> this is a weird, weird, weird world we live in. That's almost a tongue twister. And he might even be Superman next. God knows. I was thinking that. Yes, I saw a rumor about that. Like, well, they lost their Superman. Maybe it'll be the cage. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, Nick, uh, go to the gym with a personal trainer. Get a, get a new hairstyle and come back, you know? All right. <laughs> yeah, so, all right. So, we'll see. So, yeah, we agree on this. 
Uh, and we also mentioned the second Fantastic Four movie, Rise of the Silver Surfer, yes, about which the less said the better. It was voiced by Lawrence Fishburne. There's another guy they go to. There are three, okay, we need to do a black guy that's got some gravitas. <laughs> All right, Morgan Freeman's not available. Samuel's busy. Let's go to Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, <laughs> what's, what's that new Keanu series that's amazing? Oh, John Wick. Yeah, I loved the first two, but I was shocked to see Larry in the second one, you know, because it was like, well, I haven't seen Lawrence Fishburne and Keanu together in years. He's big. (laughs) (laughs) Physically. Yeah, Yeah, well, the Ant-Man, that's right, we talked about that off air. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. he's, uh, he's gotten big. So actually, now is where we start Marvel Studios, so I don't know if you want to cut that off and save it for another time. Well, probably we should, because that would be approximately two hours. All right, so that should wrap up our second installment of what's turned into a three-part series. First week, we did the DC movies. Uh, This week, we've done the early Marvel movies with Fox Studios and uh, Corman and uh, 20th Century Fox and all that jazz. So next time, we'll actually start off with Marvel Studios' first entry with Iron Man. All right, so... uh, Thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed the second part of our little series on superhero cinema from the 90s to present. Next time, we will be talking Marvel Studios and the beginning of comic book films as you know and love them. So if you'd like to contact us here, comment suggestions, or you're a filmmaker, musician, who'd like to join us on air, drop us a line on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter at weirdscenes1. Weird Scenes is at the Goldmine, brought to you by the non-existent Big Papa Online Network <laughs> on Blog Talk Radio. So uh, anything else you want to say for close? No, it's, it's just totally non-existent. Maybe we should come up with a new network. True, we should make it for our own. Oh, yeah. The really weird network. <laughs> so Something thanks. like that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll you'll see us again. You're here for us again. All right. <laughs> and hopefully you get your damn moment in. Yes, I hope that'll happen this week.
Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurdum look at the headlines, from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you gotta have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. And try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without his scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value and what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner and fellow seekers of truth in this journey towards light. Moving towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell with Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself. Discuss the beloved, the Katie, 
the career, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in, turn on, and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Seats Inside the Gold Mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio.